Welcome, Crosswalk. Thank you for being here today. As you know, we're in this series called The New Normal. And here we are. And I don't have to tell you what kind of week this might be. We're going into an election week. It's going to be contentious. There's a lot of fear. And so I, I asked the question, what should be said in a time of, well, what could be experienced as a crisis, or maybe not, who knows, we'll see. But I mean, what words can your pastor bring to you that will give you comfort, maybe some guidance, that will give you some hope in today's strange and seemingly desperate world? Now, here's the thing. We put these series together, honestly, a year in advance. And every once in a while we change. We had to for our first and second Thessalonians series this year. But this one, we thought we'd stay in it. We gave it a new name. But I was fascinated that when I got to the scripture for this week, it fit because it always does, because this is the sacred echo. So rather than just coming up with words, I thought I'd just defer to the words of Jesus. Because what we find in these texts coming at the end of his most famous of orations, his perhaps best sermon, are words of guidance, wisdom, character, compassion, and hope. But there's a question that we have to ask, and I've asked it to this congregation before. I will ask it again today. Do we have ears to hear? And in scripture, this is an often asked question. Not everyone hears wisdom in their lives. And not everyone who calls themselves followers of Christ is willing to listen to his words. I think we have to ask ourselves first and foremost, if we have ears to hear the words of Jesus. Because in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus has some strong words for his followers. And he begins with a simple phrase, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Now, this is powerful, powerful wisdom because withholding judgment is often a wise course, right? When we rush to judgment too often, we, we make mistakes. When we may have assumptions about people's intentions, at times we're wrong. So this powerful wisdom Say, do not, be, not, do not judge others and you will not be judged. But he continues on in verse 2 where he says, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard you will use to be, you will be judged by. See, that's a caveat that probably needs a little bit of unpacking. So the question is, are we willing to hold ourselves or those we support to the same standards as those we are judging? We often give ourselves a pass. Sometimes we give those that we support a pass as well while being ruthless on those perceived as the other or the enemy. Jesus has words for this and it's famous, right? And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? I always think that this is a first century meme, right? But the metaphor is apt. None of us is without our own issues, without our own biases and without our own opinions. However, is our first move to convict someone else? Or should we be convicted first of our own behavior and our own thoughts? 
Jesus continues this frame of reference and this kind of thinking when he says, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own. He's reiterating the point here. What kind of grace are you giving to those you want to correct? And are you listening to the correction that comes from God in your life? Do you have ears to hear? Then, of course, Jesus doubles down. For whatever reason, he has decided that people just weren't really listening. So he needed to shake them out of their reverie as they were falling asleep in the sermon. Because he's been going for a while at this point, And he shouts out, hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. How are you going to help if you won't be helped yourself? How will you listen How will anyone listen to you if you won't listen to anyone else? Friends, we know these are contentious times. And some of you say, Pastor Tim, why do you keep speaking about what's happening in the world? We just want to hear the words of Jesus. But I got to tell you, the words of Jesus are appropriate for what's going on in the world today. If they're not, why do we listen to them? Some people say, oh, just give us the hope that Jesus has. But Jesus gives hope, but he has to recognize the darkness that we're in. So Jesus is speaking, and the texts that he's going to speak are different than the ones that come before and the ones that come after. You see, rather than focusing on Jesus, here we see that the threat to single-minded trust and commitment to Jesus, which is everything that the Sermon on the Mount has been talking about. But But the biggest threat is finding fault with others rather than attending to our own discipleship. And it's given again later on in the first century by Paul when he in Romans 2 verse 1 says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself for you who judge others do these very same things. Jesus is going for it. I don't know what it is about judging that we love to do. What does it do to us to cast judgment on other people? Aren't we condemning ourselves most of the time as well? And this election period is a time for judgment, right? We are judging one side versus the other. But we should be able to do that in a Christian way. And Jesus changes his tone here after he gets frustrated. The tone of Jesus changes. He moves from accusation and frustration to leaning back into the goodness of God and what God wants for his children. And in Matthew 7, verse 7, he says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door is going to be opened unto you. It reminds me of that old song, right? That we've sung around the campfire for so long. And we're given this promise. And now I don't want to oversimplify it and I don't want to overcomplicate it. But I think that God is working on themes in our lives, not always specifics. I mean, he does go on in Matthew chapter 7, verse 8 to say, For anyone who asks, receive. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open. But again, I wonder if he's not thinking thematically. Have you ever prayed for your own team to win? The Dodgers just won the World Series, whatever kind of World Series it happens to be this weird and strange year. But they just won the World Series. And some of you were praying to God that they would win the World Series. And some of you were praying specifically that they would not. 
So does that mean God answered some of your prayers and didn't answer the rest of your prayers? Did God care if the Dodgers win or if the Rays won or whoever won? I think that God is more interested in your character, win or lose, than he is in the outcome of whatever particular competition you are interested in. So that's the question you've got to ask yourself, right? How is your character? How will you reflect God's character in your own character over the next few days and weeks? Win or lose, how will you conduct yourself? Now, jumping ahead, we're going to jump past one particular verse or two and then move in to Matthew 7, verse 12. We can't hit every verse. We only have a limited amount of time, but I'm looking at Matthew 7, verse 12. It says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. And you know what? When we come to this passage in the book of Luke, it is between the sayings of love your enemy. But what we see here is God's will in a nutshell. And in Matthew, it is connected to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, where Jesus says he came to fulfill the law. And this is the fulfillment of the law. Treat others as you would be treated. But do you have ears to hear this? Because I want you to think on this right now. How do you want to be treated in this season? Do you want grace from others? Do you want kind words of love and mercy and compassion? Or are you okay with the vitriol? Are you okay with the divisiveness? Do you want anger or do you want fear or do you want love? The truth is that you have to give what you want to get. And I would think the people of God, the followers of Christ would want more grace, more compassion and more mercy pointed towards us. So perhaps we should be the source of that going into the world. Perhaps it's not enough for us to be right if our person wins. Perhaps we are called to something that transcends this particular competition, this particular election. Perhaps we are called to something that is greater because the kingdom of God is greater than this particular competition. Now, there's a lot going on in chapter 7. And as you know, he's kind of finishing up, wrapping up this story that he's giving, this, this sermon that he's giving. And so then it feels like we move on to a point of judgment because there's this picture that he paints of a narrow path. Do you remember that picture? Because I remember it growing up. And I can't remember who painted it, but it's something that was used certainly in our faith tradition all the time. It's this picture of people walking on a path and some falling off the path on either side. And it used to create in me so much anxiety. This is what it says in Matthew 7 verse 13. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, says verse 14. And the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. And this used to cause me a lot of anxiety. 
Because I used to think, how do I know the road? How do I know the path? Am I on the path or not? And of course, it was always defined by behavior, not attitude even, but particular behavior. And I always wonder, am I falling off the path like this picture that I've seen? But, I mean, the text says that not many are going to find the path. Here's what we forget about this particular phrase. Jesus was the one who was telling us about it. So we did find it. We found it in the words and the works of Jesus. That text that used to freak me out so much is actually a comfort to me now. Not because I might fall off but because, or because I won't find the path, but because I realize that by seeing and following Jesus, I am already on that path. You wouldn't have heard about the path from Jesus if you hadn't been listening to Jesus. As much as it's a word of warning, it's a word of comfort for those who hear it. For the ears who hear, it is a word of comfort. But then he does give a warning. Jesus spends some time making sure that we are keeping focused on him. See, he says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. See, he says this because he wants you to know the words that you're hearing from my mouth, these are the words of truth. These are the, this is the narrow path, right? It's not somebody else who seems innocuous, but is actually really vicious. And then he says the way that you can identify them is by their fruits. We see this in chapter 7, verse 16. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? How are you responding? Now, action is attitude as well as those things that we do. What is the fruit that's coming from your life? Maybe we forget about that term false prophets for a moment and ask, what about you? Because Jesus says it in verse 17, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. What kind of fruit are you producing? Going back to the speck and the plank, right? Shouldn't we first see what kind of fruit our lives are producing? Because a good tree, it can't produce bad fruit. And a bad tree can't produce good fruit. That says it all. So I ask again, what kind of fruit is your life producing? At this moment, today, this week that we're about to go through, what kind of fruit are you producing with your words, with your choices, with your decisions? Because the warning that he does give at the end of this is tough. He says, so every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire because there are consequences and they seem to be eternal. So as I was thinking about how I'm going to deal with next week and hopefully, you know, things go well. I have some hope in America, but things might get weird. So what is my response as a Christian? For me, it's on Monday. I'm going to spend the day fasting and praying. I'm going to fast for some spiritual clarity, and I'm going to pray for our country, for our leaders, for every side of these arguments, for all of us who are engaged, that we make that we may make decisions that honor God. I'm not telling anybody which way to vote. That's something that you get to choose yourself. But I am saying this, the way that we behave, 
the way that we show the world who God is, is our fruit. And so I'm going to take some time to think on that, to dwell on that, to pray on that. And I invite you to do it with me as well. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. It doesn't matter where you are in the country. Take Monday, fast, and pray with us. Because I don't ever want to be thrown into the fire because of what I was producing. See, Matthew, in chapter 7, verse 20, we hear Jesus saying, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. You see, we're, of course, told not to judge. And God does that, and he has a clear set of criteria that he understands, and they come from his understanding of your heart. But what God is reminding us here, what Jesus is reminding us here, is that everything incarnates. And you've heard me say this again and again over the years. Every bit of love, every bit of hate, every bit of fear, every bit of grace, every bit of joy, every bit of pain incarnates in our lives. God knows it as well because God had such great love. His love is so profound that it incarnated in the human being of Jesus. Love became skin, and love became bone, and love became flesh. So I suppose the question becomes simply this. What are you incarnating today? Because what we incarnate has consequences. And listen, it's easy for us, especially in times of crisis, to, to put those labels on ourselves. I'm this or I'm that. I'm this side of the coin. I'm that side of the coin. People of faith do it all the time. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of a Christ. But listen, life and faith and judgment are not about the labels that we put on ourselves. But they are about the truth that people see in us from our fruit. And I got to tell you, this even works. This even works for God. Because the last part of Matthew 7 feels difficult. Because he says this, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. What is Jesus delineating here? He is trying to get us to understand that this choice to follow him is not an empty one, nor an easy one, nor a simple one. Rather, it takes more than lip service and a label. You can't just put on the t-shirt and make it be true. And he goes on to explain even more on judgment day. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. And the worst part of this is that some of us will be surprised by the conversation that Jesus has with us at the end because we will have bought into the false prophets. We would have bought into the false arguments that are out there, not recognizing that the fruit that was being given to us was rotten all along. Remember, when we say we are followers of Christ, then Christ things, Jesus things, kingdom things become paramount in our lives. If we spend too much time thinking about just what this world has to offer and what our options are just for this world, we may say we are of the kingdom, 
but those words will not ring true. And how is he going to answer us? Jesus says, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. These are the words I never want to hear from God. I never want him to say those words to me. So what do I need to do? I need to be looking at the fruit of those that have authority in my life because the fruit will reveal the root. I need to be making sure that God is my ultimate authority and that he is the king and that he and what he says transcends all other authorities in my life. I need to make sure that my actions, what I incarnate into the world, doesn't come from a rotten heart, doesn't come from fear and anger and divisiveness. Rather, I live beyond that, believing that God is still in charge of this world. And that gives me a break. That anxiety that I feel, that fear that I feel, perhaps that is abated some. And it seems to me that Jesus is not, is not asking this question, do you know me? The question that Jesus is asking is, does God know you? Can he recognize by your fruits, by your fruits, knowing your roots? Can he recognize who you are? Does he at the end of time look at you and go, it's been a while, I've missed you. I can't wait for you to be together with me. Or does he look at you and say, you know, you had all the right words and you said all the right things, but you said them with a rotten heart. Or you bought into the idea that following me would mean this in the world or that in the world, rather than the things that I've said in scripture again and again and have made clear again and again that we are supposed to be the peacemakers, that we are supposed to be the peacekeepers, that we are the ones who are supposed to show great love, great mercy, great compassion, even to our enemies. It says that specifically. Listen, it's really easy right now to take sides. It feels like the whole of Earth's history has been leading up to the side-taking that we're doing right now. And there is a side that I want to be on. But the side that I want to be on begins and ends with Jesus. I believe that he is the one that transcends. He is the one that transforms. He is the one that brings us to another place and teaches us to live beyond just the options that we seem to be given in this world. That doesn't mean we're not engaged. That doesn't mean we're not, we're not effective in the world, but it means that we serve a higher power. You've heard me say it before. Christ, not Caesar. So what do these words of Jesus say? They say to us that we're not to judge others. They say to us that we are 
to do unto others as we would like them to do to us. And it also says that God wants to know you. But that choice is up to you. We have to live beyond the bumper stickers. We have to live beyond the t-shirts and the slogans. We have to live beyond the pundits. And we have to transcend what is being offered us and find a new way to be in community. If we don't do that, if we can't do that, or if we are unwilling to do that, then can we really call ourselves followers of Christ? Do we really have ears to hear? Or do we like the label and what it affords us, but at the end of the time, Jesus says, that's a nice shirt, but I don't recognize the person in it. Those are not words that I'm willing to hear in my life. And I hope they're not words that you're willing to listen to. So we need a lot of prayer. And we can recognize that. We always do. But maybe this week in particular. So I invite you on Monday to pray and fast, wherever you are. That in the end, the kingdom of God will be lifted high. Through those who call themselves followers of Christ. Let's bow our heads. God of grace, it's in trepidatious times that we come to you, feeling like we're either going into a storm, in the midst of a storm, maybe coming out of a storm. But I feel like what we need right now is you to stand on the bow of the ship and say, peace be still. Lord, we want to see your grace. We want to see your power expressed in the world through love that incarnates through your people. So may we be those people who incarnate love, not fear, not anger, not frustration, but love. Calm. Inclusiveness. Lord, we're going to ask for an incredible amount of your presence. We want it all the time, but we're going to pray for it specifically for our country, for our families, for our communities. And we're going to ask that you show yourself powerfully in the world today, Lord. And Lord, whichever way this goes, whatever happens, there will be people on one side that will feel a loss and people on another side that will feel a win. I'm going to ask for this, Lord. Whichever side any of us are on, we grant peace to all those around us. We give grace and understanding. And we grow towards a more united community in you. May those who call themselves followers of Christ be that for the world today. In your name I pray. Amen.